Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 9. We'll spend some time in God's Word together. Um, and as you prepare um, with the Bibles open, let's pray and ask God's help. Father, I want to thank you for my sister Sue's prayer, Lord, for strength um, in order to proclaim your Word. For, Lord, it's not in our own strength we serve you. And so, therefore, Lord, we pray that you will draw near to both Kim and myself as we seek to proclaim and to, um, to speak your word. Father, we pray that you will help us, Lord. Pray not only for your spirit to be upon those who are speaking and signing, but we do pray for those who are hearing, Lord, and seeing. We pray, Father, that you will cause your, your spirit to move powerfully, mightily, and with great effect amongst us, O oh God. May it not be by the force of the word, but by the power of your spirit, Lord, that speaks today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I place this, call this sermon today, this, um, are you willing to pay the price? It's amazing how, when you think about how much things cost, I mean, I was just looking at, at handbags. Sorry, ladies, to pick on you. I was looking at handbags today. And, and how much will you pay for a handbag? You know, you know, on the internet, you can buy one for £200,000. Um, and I thought to myself, seriously? You know, can, can, do people honestly pay that sort of money for, for a handbag? And you say, I won't pay that, I will pay £50. Well, really? Right? £50 for a handbag? You know, it can really get really, really silly. But, um, you know, women do spend some money on handbags, and before you men get comfortable, you know, I was driving past a car showroom just around the corner here for and looking at the prices of Range Rovers. Have you noticed how much a Range Rover costs? 85,000 pounds. I thought you can buy a house practically for that. And I thought to myself, some men, you know, will even buy that. And you think to yourself, you know, if you can afford it, all well and good, but if you can't, telling you, I, I would rather have my money put into to something else. You know, in fact, I went to the shop the other day and I thought, you know what, I fancy a bar of chocolate and I picked up a Mars bar. And the guy said to me, 70 pence. I went, what? <laughs> Put it back. I, I, don't, I don't need that for 70p. You know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, you might call me tight-fisted or something, but it's amazing. You know, sometimes you're not willing to pay a certain price for certain things. Well, we'll look at this in a few moments. But here, you know, we see, we see Jesus we see Jesus um, committed. Can I go next slide up? Um, up there. Yeah, my um, thing may not be. Um... Is it, is it this one? Okay. Okay. Thank you. Committed to to rescue. Here we see Jesus. The Bible says. Um, setting his face like flint. Look at verse 51, and hopefully you can help me at the back there, Matthew, with the slide here. Um, oh, thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Here we have verse 51, which says, At that time, at the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. We read that Jesus was going to be taken up to heaven. Now, we know that he came from heaven. He came from the Father, and he knew that he was going back to the Father. Now, to take him up to heaven was the easy part. He realized that he had to go to Jerusalem. And that's where he was heading. And he had to go past Jerusalem, he had to go through Jerusalem, because at Jerusalem was the cross. 
that was awaiting him. At Jerusalem, he knew that there was going to be agony, there was going to be pain, there was going to be nails, there was going to be a crown of thorns, there was going to be spitting and abuse and scorn. He knew that all this was waiting for him in Jerusalem. And so we read these words. He resolutely set out to Jerusalem. Nothing was going to stop him going. He set his face towards Jerusalem, set his face like flint. Nothing was going to stop him. No one was going to get in his way. Even though he knew what awaited for him in Jerusalem, he set his face resolutely to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because he knew that at Jerusalem, it was there he was going to redeem you and me. He realized that it was there he was going to win you back to himself. He realized that it was at Jerusalem he was going to rescue you from hell, rescue you from the power of sin, rescue you from Satan's dark clutches. It was in Jerusalem that he knew that he was going to deliver and rescue you. That's why he set his face resolutely to Jerusalem. Nothing was going to stop him. No one was going to get in his way. In fact, when one of the disciples came up to him and said, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. You're not going to go and, 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 and die. And we read that, that, that Jesus turned to Peter and said to him, get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That's all you're worrying about. Get behind me, he said to the disciples, because I'm going to Jerusalem. Because there's men and women who will be sitting in Golding's church this morning that I'm going to redeem, I'm going to save, I'm going to rescue, and no one is going to stop me from going to Jerusalem. And so we read Jesus being resolute, being committed to rescue you. Isn't that amazing? Nothing was going to stop him. Even friends and family, he pushed them to one side because you and I were so important to God that Jesus made sure that he was going to the cross. But there was a problem. Let's look at the problem. The problem we find is in the next verse. He sent messages on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. They did not welcome him. They stopped it. Don't come. In fact, they said to Jesus, we don't want you in our borders. Don't come because we know you're going to Jerusalem. We don't want you coming through. Now, that wasn't really a major problem to Jesus. The major problem was the disciples' response. That was more of a major problem. Look how the disciples responded to this. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? That was the reaction of the two disciples. Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Christians had the authority and the power to call down fire from heaven when anybody annoys you? To call down fire from heaven. Can you believe? Can you imagine driving down the car and someone cuts you up on the road 
And he said, Lord! Before you know it, there's a pile of smoke. And the car is left ablaze. You know, you go into a shopping mall and, and, and someone's rude to you at the counter. And you come out, Lord! And at the counter, the man is no more. There's a pile of smoke. Can you imagine? I'm sure you've got a few people that you can call fire down the heaven. You're thinking, I know that one. I will call fire down from heaven for that person. You know, just imagine how people annoy us, we will call down fire from heaven. And yet, Jesus turns around to these men. And the Bible turns around and he says he rebukes them. Because they were actually thinking more about what happened in the Old Testament. You see, a man of God in the Old Testament, you know, he had some serious power. You know that. A man of God. You don't mess with men of God in the Old Testament. Look at Elijah, for example. Elijah in two kings. Elijah answered the captain, If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire from, fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. You don't mess around with men of God, you know, back in the Old Testament. And these disciples thought, you know, we were Jesus now, you know, we were Christ. You know, we're men of God like Jesus now. And we can do what they did in the Old Testament. And anyone who comes in our way, anyone who, who stops the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to call fire from heaven. And that's it. They're going to be gone. Can you just imagine what the church will be like? We probably won't be, won't be here. We'll be calling fire on one another, you know. But Jesus rebukes them. But Jesus turned. Thank the Lord for Jesus. He turned and he rebuked the disciples. And why did he rebuke them? This is where the NIV falls short. You know, NIV misses out these two verses. The NIV puts it down at the bottom of the page, which is a shame because these two verses are so important. And so the New King James says it completely and it keeps it in the text. Look what he says. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That's why the Son of Man has come. You don't know what spirit you are. You're talking about taking out a Samaritan village. You're talking about destroying men's lives. You don't know what spirit you are from. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men. In fact, John 3, 16, we all know. For God so loved the world. But we don't really know what John 3, 17 says. Look what John 3, 17 says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That is the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ has come. Not to destroy lives, but to save lives. You know, you would think that young people and older people as well, you would think that, you know, Jesus comes to destroy life. The way people want to run from the church so quickly, especially young people, and I'm speaking to young people here today, so many young people, and older ones as well, they, they want to run from the church so quickly because they think that the church and Christ and the Bible is there to destroy their lives. I knew, a grew up with this young man over in Ilford. I was his um, Sunday school teacher uh, for a short time. And... Um, name was James, James Phillips his name was. He was in the church. In fact, his parents served within the church. But he couldn't wait to get out. He couldn't wait to break free. 
You're thinking that, you know, the Bible, you know, doing what God wants me to do, you know, it's destroying my life. And he couldn't wait. You know, he got out of the church when he got 17, 18, got out of the church, you know, five years ago, I heard that he hanged himself in a field somewhere. Young lad that I know personally, his brother still works around this area in Loughton, but this young lad who felt that the church, he felt that Christ was destroying his life, he couldn't wait to get out, end up getting out and finding that the devil actually does want to destroy his life. And this young man in his late 20s, early 30s was found hanged. Jesus says, the son of man has come not to destroy your life, not to make your life a misery, not to somehow cause your life to be less fun than those who are drinking and partying and staying up till late hours. You know, they are having the real fun and being a, a, a person of the word of God, I'm not having the fun that they're having. Jesus didn't come to ruin your life, but he came to save you from what that life brings. That's what he comes to do. And the disciples had to learn that lesson. They had to learn the lesson that men and women are important to God. They had to learn the lesson that you are valuable to God. Can't just call down fire from heaven and destroy the soul that Jesus had come to save. No matter how much they annoy you, how much they get on your nerves, you can't call curses down from heaven from these people. No, he's come to redeem and rescue and to save men and women. That includes you and includes the people that you do not get on with. He comes to rescue and to save. Okay, let's move on because committed to rescue, but the second part of my message committed to follow. Jesus is committed to rescue, but it's a commitment to follow as well. And sometimes I spoke earlier on about the cost of stuff. You know, some, if someone came up to you and, and pulled out a, a Range Rover and parked it outside and said, it's yours for five pounds. We all say, yeah, man, here's five pounds. You know, can I, can I be the first to put the money down? Because the cost would be okay for us to pay. But if we say 85,000 pounds, we say, that's ridiculous. We weigh up the cost, don't we, before we take anything on. Well, Jesus had men coming up to him in the Bible. And, and we see that some of these men wanted to follow Jesus. And you would have thought to yourself, that Jesus would have made it easy for them to follow him. That's what you thought, didn't you? When people came, if someone came up to you and said, I want to follow Jesus, what would you say? Someone came up to me and said, I want to follow Jesus. We all will say, great, wonderful. Jesus will comfort you in times of trouble. Someone come up to us and say, I want to follow Jesus. We say, great news, wonderful. Jesus will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Someone came up to you and said, I want to follow Jesus. We will say, great. Jesus promised you not only a, you know, a peace on earth, but he promised you glory in heaven. If someone came up to you and say, I want to follow Jesus. We say, great. Jesus is a great healer. He can heal you of your sicknesses and deliver you from pain. Praise God. Follow Jesus. That's what we will say. That's what we will say. But the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what will Jesus say? What does Jesus say when people ask to follow him? We will say those things. 
But what would Jesus say? Let's look at what Jesus says. Jesus turns, a man turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, as a, they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What Jesus was saying to this man, you know what, if you are expecting a, five, a luxury five-star hotel and following me, then you have no thing coming. You see, even the foxes and the birds have their respective places, dens and nests. But if you are going to follow me, and you expect to get a five-star treatment, then you've got another thing coming. In fact, if your desire is for earthly comforts, maybe you shouldn't follow me. Because the Bible clearly says that our home, now when you hear me here, the Bible says our home is not here. I know you think it's here. Some of us saw we live so comfortably here that when the come time to come to, to leave this earth, to die, we're holding on and saying, Lord, no, don't take me, don't take me. As if you're going to a horrible place. Don't take me, Lord. But actually, this is not our home. Look what the Bible says in Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship, I love that word. Our citizenship is where you actually reside. You might live in, 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 in Jamaica or might live in, 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 in America, but if you've got an English passport, you're a citizen of the United Kingdom. And so your citizenship is here. But the Bible says we have another citizenship. It's not here. Where is it? It's in the presence of God. I love what the um, Hebrew writer said. Instead, they were longing for a better country. A heavenly one. That's what the disciples were back in the day. They were longing for a better country. They will say with Paul, to me to live is Christ. That's what I desire to depart, Paul said. I desire to depart and be with Christ. That is a word, that's a language of the old prophets, the old Christians. They desire to depart and to be with Christ. And Jesus said, you want to follow me? I want you to be aware that foxes have their dens and the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In fact, luxury upon this earth is not my priority. My priority is the kingdom of God. And that will turn a few people off, wouldn't it? Okay, thank you very much. Um, let's see if I can find someone else to follow. That will turn a few people off. But are you willing to pay the price? That's the question. The second group of people, the second man that we see, Jesus turned and speaks to someone else. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, First, let me go and bury my father. Now, this may sound um, quite plausible, but the man's response, his father is not dead. If his father was dead, he would have been speaking to Jesus. He would have been busy burying his father. What he was saying is, Lord, let me wait until my father dies. And when my father dies and he's dead and gone, then I will follow you. I don't know when it's going to happen. It might happen five years, ten years, fifteen years, but once that's done, he says, let me do that, and then I will follow you. Jesus' response 
It's very clear. Look what he says. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is saying to him. Jesus told him that the spiritually dead should go and bury the physical dead. Let me say it again to you. Those who are spiritually dead have no life in them. The only purpose that they have now is to bury the physical dead. But you, who are spiritually alive, you have a purpose. Go and proclaim. Go and live. Go and serve in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying to this man. Listen. If you have no life, if you have no spiritual life, you have no no, no reason to exist. So your only thing you can do is just bury dead people and just put them in the grave. That's all you can do because there's nothing else is worthy in your life. If you've got no spiritual life, you're dead in your sin. Go and bury other people. But if you've got something in you, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you and giving you life. You're born again. Then you have a, some, you've got a service to do in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus turns around and says to this man, you know what, you're giving me a plausible excuse there, but I want to tell you, there's other people who can bury dead people. If you've got life, then serve the kingdom. The third thing and question I have to ask after this one, are you prepared to pay that cost? Are you prepared to pay that price? The third person came up to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Lord, he said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. He said, crying out loud, that's hard. All he wants to do is say goodbye to his family. And Jesus is turning around and saying, don't go and say goodbye to your family. What's all that about? Well, again, this man's devotion to Jesus is in question. He seems divided in his heart, unsure, even half-hearted. There's a real sense that, well, you know, I'm following you, Lord, but, you know, my family is, 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 is more important. and I, I need to go back. But Jesus turns around and says, you know, half-heartedness. I tell you, sometimes you can say to people, come to a banquet, come to a meal, they'll be quick. They won't say, I'll have to, you know, check my family and say goodbye to my family first before I come to a meal. But when it comes to service, when it comes to doing something for God, any excuse. And this man was showing a half-hearted, divided, unsure nature. And he didn't really want to follow the kingdom of God. He didn't really want to be useful in the kingdom of God. He's willing to go, to go here and to look back a little bit. And to come back again and to look back. And Jesus said, you know what? If you put your hand to service, then you shouldn't look back. In fact, if you do look back, you're not fit for his kingdom. In fact, Jesus' warning must be heard from Revelation. But he, he speaks to his church. And to his church, he says... I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. 
So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now he's speaking to his church here. He's saying, you know, I wish that you were either one or the other. I wish you was cold. Because even being cold, the cold is useful. Ice is useful. Being cold is useful. Being hot is useful. Heat is useful. But because you are lukewarm, says Jesus, you're no good even being cold. You're not good even being, you're completely and totally useless. You're lukewarm, says the Lord to his church. And because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And that's not to unbelievers. It's to believers. And you think to yourself, why does Jesus speak like that? Why is he so, I mean, why does he speak like that? Why did not he just be a little bit more nicer? Why don't he, 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 you know, he speak with kinder words and more people will follow him? Why? He must hate his church. No. Look what he says in the next verse. Those whom I love, I rebuke. Those whom I love, I rebuke. The reason why I speak to you like that, says the Lord, because I love you. I love your soul. I love your life. I love everyone that's connected to you. Those who I rebuke, he says, those who I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. And here's that wonderful verse, speaking to his church. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I'm telling you, sometimes family, some homes are all homes are different when it comes to feeding time. You know, some children are like vultures, you know, circling around the kitchen, waiting for the food to be put on the plate, and they grab the plate, take it into their bedroom, and you never see them again until the food's over. Then you have to collect the plate from their room as well. Some families are different. Some families like getting their food and, and sitting in front of the television. You know, and I bet most families are a bit like that, you know. Sit in front of the television. Don't talk to me. I'm watching EastEnders. And eating my Brussels sprouts and roast potatoes. You know, don't talk to me. But back in the day, eating was not about the food so much. You sit around the table. The food is secondary. But it's a conversation that you have around the table. That's lovely. And I think in England, we've missed that one out, haven't we, really? We've gone down the wrong road where people just take their food and put their headphones on and watch TV and laptop and everybody eating their food and watching something else. But back in the day, eating was more of a social thing. You get your family around. How was your day at school? What did you do? What do you think about the, the news report? And you begin to just share and talk around the table. And your lives are being shared around the table. Look what Jesus says. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. And they with me. In other words, I will come in and I will share my life with them. And they will share their lives with me. That's what service is all about. I'm not looking for lukewarm Christians. I'm not looking for Christians who are neither hot nor cold. 
and, and, and they're in the middle somehow and, and, and they, they put their hand up to say that they believe but really their actions show that they're not truly committed. I, I'm, not, I'm not looking for those ones. I am looking for those who will let me in totally into their lives. Open the door and let me come in and share their life with them and I will share my power, my grace, my comfort with them as well. It will be a mutual exchange, says the Lord. That's my desire. And he says, I speak like that to my church because I love my church. And because I love my church and I love my people. Because I set my face resolutely for Jerusalem. Because I didn't let no one stop me. Because I was going down to that cross. Why? Because I have people in Golding's church that I'm going to die for. People in Golding's church I'm going to suffer for. People in Golding's church I'm going to bleed for. I'm going to Jerusalem because I love them. They're my chief concern. But now I'm standing outside the doors of their hearts and I'm knocking this morning. I'm knocking. Are you going to open up your heart, your life, and allow me to sit down with you and share not just your Sunday morning, but I want to share your Sunday evening. I want to share your Monday morning when you're at work. I want that work to be a holy place because you're in it and I'm with you in it as well. I want to share your experiences. I want to be in with you and your life to be part of my life and my life, the resurrection, resurrected life, to be part of your life. Let me come in, says the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not begging. I'm telling you this for your own good. Let me come in. Allow the power of the resurrected Christ to be a portion of your life. So the question is, the price. Is the price too much for some of you? You turn around and say, well, I don't know if I'm willing to pay. I want the benefits, but I don't know if I really want to pay the price. Well, Jesus doesn't make it easy. He doesn't lay all the nice sweets at the front counter and say, take one. No. He says, come. The road might be rough. The road might be rocky. I haven't got a head, I haven't got a bed to sleep in. I haven't got a place to stay. But I want to tell you, you come and follow me. And the kingdom of God is going to be yours. Even though it's rough. Come and follow me. And I will make you men and women sons and daughters of the almighty God. Amen. Let's pray.